This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. You're listening to the Piper Carter Podcast on the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Holly, if you hear me, maybe I'm not loud enough. Read between the lines if you think about it hard enough. Disconnect, because homie, you not charging up. I'm not a threat. They told me I'm not smart enough. See, this my art, baby. This is where I start, baby. Come from the heart, baby. Go and play your part, baby. I'ma play your part and get far from the scene. Too much is going on if you know what I mean. See, homie, I might fade away, fade to the back. Playing in the shadows, I might fade in the black. I'm kind of faded tonight. Blast in the past, see, I got an old soul. I need vinyls and cassettes, and you're living with regrets, and you feeling kind of this. Company I keep is myself and four cats. I'ma fuck around and neglect all my friends. I'ma fuck around and be alone in the end. I'ma go ghost and disappear from niggas, and I'ma tune it all out till I can hear you niggas, and I'ma fade away. I'ma go on by, I'ma go on home, and I won't say, I'ma go ghost. Disappear from niggas and I'ma tune it all out till I can't hear you niggas and I'ma fade on wait. I'ma go on by, I'ma go on home, and I won't say bye. Fade on wait, won't say bye, won't say bye. Fade on wait, won't say bye. Sustain me, sustain me, give me energy, concentrate hard enough to feel your energy. Expectations running low now. People getting dirty, man. These motherfuckers low down. Whoa, Nelly, slow down. Getting kind of fast. Separate yourself, girl. You're more than just a piece of ass. Who told you things that you never said before? I mean, who told you things that you never thought before? I mean, hold up, hold up. Whoa, there, really, I got you. Speak up for yourself. Tell them what that mouth do. Tell them what you about to do, but never what you doing. Best left unsaid until you done what you doing. I mean, who said this shit just can't be done? I mean, who came up with the fact you never be the one or you never had some fun? Or homie, you just a sellout. You ain't talking positive, nigga, get the hell out. I'm done saying shit that ain't related to my dreams. I'm done saying shit that I ain't never really mean. But who am I impressing? I know what I want. Now I'm done second guessing. I'm done holding back on behalf of other folks. Done not doing what needs to be done. See, I'ma fuck around and neglect all my friends. I'ma fuck around and be alone in the end. See, I'ma go ghost and disappear from niggas. And I'ma tune it all out till I can hear you niggas. And I'ma fade away. I'ma go on by. I'ma go on home, and I won't say, I'ma go ghost, and disappear from niggas, and I'ma tune it all out till I can't hear you niggas, and I'ma fade on wait, I'ma go on by, I'ma go on home, and I won't say bye, fade on wait, won't say bye, won't say bye, fade on wait, won't say bye, fade on wait, won't say bye, Welcome back to the Piper Carter Podcast, episode number 70. You are listening to Piper Carter and... The token millennial. What's up, Brittany? Hi, Piper. It's so weird being 30 now and being called a millennial. I think I'm too grown for that. No, you're so within the realm of like you'll always be millennial the no, rest of your life. No, I'm more just like I'll always be Gen X the rest of my life. I know, but I just 
I'm grown now, Piper. I'm I'm past. No, you're thing. grown. You're a you a grown woman. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Pipe? Right, that's what Beyonce say. Right, I'm a grown woman. What's up, Pipe? <laughs> oh man, <clears throat> um, how's your week been? Week has been good. Yeah, what you been up to? Uh, I told you I got a I switch roles. Um. Within the company, I work for the really? operations side. I love what I'm doing. Is that a is that a step up or to the side or? I got more. I got paid more money. Hey, pay what I asked for. I tried to do the black girl negotiation and how'd it go? Nah. Uh oh. But I tried. It was cool. Okay. It was okay. cute. But I did get paid a little bit more cash. Uh, I do like working in operations. It's good for me. It's good for my mind. Okay. And um, it gives me more of a voice, and uh, I like it. But this is food Detroit. Shout out to Sanaa. Shout out to. <clears throat> Uh, but it's Mama March. Bev. Yes, and Mama Bev. Shout out to John and and you too, Sanaa John. Who else? Yeah. Um. Shout out Bree. Black yeah, Coco Bree. Bakes. Yeah. Shout out Jesse. Shout out Kamari. Shout out Dontrell because those are like Dontrell has been amazing. Like we've been booking different events, and I come home and everything is clean. Oh. Like so, like go Dontrell. He gets so many brownie points. <laughs> But his food has been doing well. Thanks to Piper Carter. Um, we're going to be back at the Willis January 23rd. Wonderful. Um, we did L Club two weeks ago. They asked us to come back for Friday and Saturday next wow, week. Wow, they like your food. Yeah, so we'll be back there. Y'all out here in these streets. And then we'll be doing some work for Focus Hope. Hey! Um, next Y'all Tuesday. are doing it. Shout out to Miss Stephanie Sanaa's mom who booked us for that. Wonderful, wonderful. So we'll be, we'll be feeding the Hope Village some vegan food. So, hey! And some pizza. And, Y'all food is amazing, isn't it? I think it's good. You know, we, uh, you know, just trying to, trying to get it, trying to get it tighter. Everybody it loves tight. your food. Everybody asks me about your food. Well, somebody, somebody hit me up today talking about the podcast. Shout out to Kibby. I don't know if you know who Kibby Z is. But she says she listens to the podcast, so shout out to you for listening to the podcast. Shout out for listening. I love that, like hearing that. And then secondly, shout out to her for supporting Is Food Detroit as well. Hey. I like when worlds collide. Well, collide is like negative. Oh. Yeah, that's like like a collision. I like when worlds come together. Combine. Combine. Yeah, that's what's up. No collision. Mm -hmm. What have you been up to? I mean, I already know what you've been up to, but. I don't know. Um, let's see. So much. Well, okay. I, the one thing that I want to um, say is I just got back from Santiago, Chile, and it was <clears throat> transformational. Um, I First of all, shout out to everyone there. I went mm. as a part of an American delegation um, through East Michigan Environmental Action Council, which are members of Grassroots Global Justice and Climate Justice Alliance. And through all of that, I'm a member of the World March of Women as a representative. And um, I got a chance to represent. And so the World March of Women, I'm on the U.S. chapter. Mm -hmm. The international chapter invited us to go there and support. And so I went. And um, it was one of the most amazing experiences that I've ever had in my entire life mm. besides Brazil. It's up there like this and Brazil run neck and neck. They run neck and neck. Yeah. They're like equal. Um, some things I noticed about Chile, super white country. Mm. They also have a right wing um, situation. They 
had been under a dictator. I was just going to ask you to break that down. They've been under a dictator for a long time. And now, um, technically, they're not under the dictator anymore. But it's just like, they, they've been fighting in the streets now for like over 50 day, 55 days at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we first got there, we went to the Museum of Memory. I saw that. It was so, that was the most incredible. Was that the picture where you, experience of, I've, I've had in a museum? I have to cut you off, but that, just to be sure I have a point of reference in my mind, that's the pictures of all the different pictures that they had uh, kind of like in a space where yeah. it's like different uh, portrait shots of different people. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Please tell us about that. That museum is dedicated to all the people who were murdered fighting for freedom. Mm. And, it's it has like video installations there's um kind of like pictures on glass mm-hmm. there's newspaper articles artifacts um cia documents mm-hmm. uh they have newspaper clippings magazine clippings pictures posters leaflets um and then they do some more creative things with um like how you put like pictures on a wall maps um they took like the names of people and then turn it into like this graphic so that it looks so that it like covers this entire room it's thousands of names wow tens of thousands of names actually maybe even hundred thousand names that covers the entire room and you don't even recognize that it's a name to get right up close to it. Mm-hmm. And then when you go inside the room, they have the different methods of how they tortured people. So they have like a bed that they were torturing people on. And then there they have a video. And the video has people talking about how um, the prison guards took like um, <clears throat> electric shock things and put it in their mouth. And in their anus and in their genitals and was like shocking them to like get forced confessions and information out of them. Um, the beatings, the rapes, they um, talked about how they blindfolded them, like shot their eyes out, took um, like while they're blindfolded, made them squat naked, like butt naked, blindfolded, made them squat and bend and check inside them and just all types of dehumanizing stuff. Um, you can hear the videos of people telling these stories of stuff that happened to them. You can read the articles, cars that just blew up, um, you know, supposed suicides that weren't really suicides, um, just straight up murders. Like, and then it's like three floors. They also had like this huge map of people that were murdered in the form of a map and then like a memorial set up that was like a candlelight vigil where you could go and just <clears throat> pay honor and respects to people. Um, and then, you know, the different ethnicities, there's a room that's dedicated just to the Haitians. Mm. Um, they've been inviting Haitians to come in after the hurricane in Haiti or no earthquake in Haiti. And, um, they, the Chilean government offered them visas and asylum. And so in 2018, they started 
sending them back and murdering them. <clears throat> and so there's like just a huge I did, I did population see, of Haitians there. I did see when I was reading a little bit about Chile, um, specifically the part that you were in, um, which is the capital of Chile. I can't pronounce it. So Santiago. Santiago. Mm-hmm. So I saw that there was a huge influx of Haitians that that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, Haitians and, and Black Colombians, yeah, Dominicans, Black, black Colombians, mm-hmm. and how they found a lot of work, like the uh, you know the surrounding countries and cities in South America don't have um, a strong economy the way that Chile does, mm-hmm. and that is it, it makes it a a very um, um, attractive, the, yeah, very attractive for. So they are the immigrants there. Mm -hmm. So the way that our country does Mexicans Mm -hmm. is the way they're treated there. So Mm -hmm. I went in one of the, I have it in my little thing, but there's a lot of animosity towards them there um, on top of racism. So it's just really interesting. I wrote a little something. I could read it. Let's do it. It's not really like full disclosure. This is just like me. This is just like some thoughts. Right? Yeah. That I have. So this may be coherent. It might just be like a stream of consciousness. And it might also sound like rambling. So um, some thoughts I have about our visit to Santiago, Chile, or Chile. I spent most of my time inside the the feminist tent. Um, There was a lot of great stuff there. I did attend workshops and other spaces as well. I also spent a lot of time learning from local communities about what they're doing to challenge the climate crisis. I also spent time learning from immigrant communities about their experiences as black folks from Colombia, black folks from Haiti, and mostly building with them about how it is for them to live in the city and also be in this movement. I also talked to folks that were from Chile of different ethnic origins to have a better understanding about what climate justice means in their region and where they're from. I got a chance to learn about their biodiversity and how they're practicing the commons and listening to some of their migration stories, how they're adapting to climate change and how they are building their feminist network. I learned from some folks that are in a journalist network there and then I got to learn about how they are experiencing some uh, extractivism. So um, extractivism is basically um, where resources are taken and there's no exchange. So if you have an extractive relationship, it's pretty much like, One person does all the giving and then the other person just does the taking. And so if you, extractivism is basically where, let's say, how they're doing now where they're trying to, where they're going to the um, Amazon and they're just like digging for oil, you know, and destroying the earth's natural resources. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to like, you know, replenish it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um. And I learned that in general, um, the, you know, folks that they're calling immigrants um, are being challenged by the unions because the unions want them to support their struggle, 
But it's difficult for the immigrants because they don't have documents to be in the country. And so companies exploit them and pay them less and treat them horribly. And then they're afraid to join anything because they don't know who they can trust. And they, in general, also just face a lot of racism mm. from everywhere. Um, so what else? I learned how communities, um, many communities have an anti-capitalist framework, um, and, and an anti-capitalist, uh, response because they're, they're, they're doing, you know, or they've been doing, um, political education daily, like every single day. So we did a lot of mysticas and mysticas are where you have a gathering and then in the middle you do um, an honoring of ancestors. You may have some offerings such as fruits, nuts, seeds, maybe just different things that you want to offer up. A lot of times folks will put their flags or their bandanas that represent their organizations. Um, Can I ask a question? What mm -hmm. were the different, I mean, essentially that's a ritual. It's ritual. But it's called Mista? They call it Mystica. Mystica. And but it's a rich, it's ritual. What would you say the difference in their rituals were than what they were in Brazil? Because I know you really appreciate it. It's pretty much the, the same. But it's did it have same. a different, did it have a different feel at all? No. Anything? No, it's, it's the same. About the same. Okay. No, Which is same. interesting. It's the same. Um, and maybe, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's it's exactly the same. Because I, I I'm asking because I know how much it, you appreciated it. Yeah. How much it made you feel connected <clears throat> while you were there. It does. You know, because you get a chance to hear the, the stories, their origin stories, the stories of their ancestors, the stories of mm. indigenous folks, um, their migration stories. But then also mm. uh, just this honoring, this spiritual centering uh, is, is it, it brings you a connection, you know. Um, so we did lots of mysticas every single, same thing like Brazil. They do them for every gathering. And, um, I thought that was super powerful. I love that. I got a chance to learn about how folks are responding to structural violence and the impact of extractivism on indigenous communities. And I spoke to, with folks, um, from the front lines of climate justice who are dealing with the crisis of extractivism. By that, what I mean is there were folks from all over. And in general, everyone's facing the same enemy, including us here in the United States. And the same enemy is this right-wing, capitalist, fascist, patriarchal, structural violence against women, against black folks, and just against poor people. And, you know, the ways in which that it shows up is slightly different, but is pretty much the same. You know, take moving people off their land, taking land from people, displacing them, murdering them, criminalizing them. You know, it's 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 pretty much all the same. Do mm. you know what I'm saying? Or similar. I met women um, in the movement of, for water and learned about the role of women in the climate movement, and that most of their fight is centered on opposing neoliberalism, extractivism, and structural violence. So mm. neoliberalism. In brief, I mean, we live under a neoliberal society here. Okay. And neoliberalism is a term that was actually coined, I think, around the 30s. 
But in general, the way that it's used now, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just make it more like in layman's terms because if I dig into like a dictionary version, it may get a little deep and thick. But I would say the way neoliberalism looks at this point is like people who are benefiting from the system who then become agents of the system. You get it? Yes. So well, hmm. just to be clear, let's just look up a more specific um, definition for you. But I'm just giving you that so that you could have a clearer picture of like who we're actually talking about. But let's say like when people say, oh, all we really need, you know, if we had black cops or if we had a black president or if we had a black mayor, you see what I'm saying? Just because the person looks like you doesn't mean that they're not acting out the system. Right. So the system is the system. And so uh, if we just go like to our friend Wikipedia that we're not supposed to go to. Oh, okay. But that everyone goes to anyway. (laughs) It says um, neoliberalism is a 20th century resurgence of 19th century ideas associated with laissez-faire, economic liberalism, and the free market capitalism which constituted a paradigm shift away from the post-war Keynesian consensus that had lasted from 45 to 80. So neoliberalism is generally associated with policies of economic liberalization, including privatization, deregulation, free trade, austerity, and reductions in government spending in order to increase the role of private sector in the economy and society. However, the defining features of neoliberalism in, in both thought and practice have been the subject of substantial scholarly debate. So long story short, all this privatization of schools, of city services, of, you know, healthcare, of, of hospitals, of all the structures that we actually need to survive, of food, of farming, right? The, all of that, is a part of neoliberal thought that that those should be private, right? A prison industrial complex, policing. With the privatization of all those industries that should be public, then there gets to be um, the imposition of capitalism on those systems, meaning, you know, greed. That's why you said we're, we're living in that too. We live in that too. So, you know, greed gets infused into that. You know, uh, it's not about, like we see with the pharmaceutical, right? It's not about like getting people healthier or making healing sure that. that people are healing. It's about making sure that people stay addicted to these drugs so you can keep selling them drugs. The cycle. Right? And the same thing, make sure that people are criminalized so you create laws that, you know, make more things that people can be criminalized for. So, because you so you can fill up bodies in these prisons, right? If you're doing private the prison, private prison industrial complex, and <clears throat> same thing with the foods, and mm-hmm. you're gonna do GMOs so that you can have more food, so you can you know water food down, so you can have more to charge more or charge less, you know, to like make it spread more, whatever. But in general, uh, when you're talking about this deregulation, it it that means it's not better for you. It might be worse for you. That's why we're dealing with a lot of these um, 
pollutants and uh, what's going on regarding, um, you know, the environment. Like when we look at the EPA and how these agencies, you know, uh, all these agencies are supposed to, you know, protect us and regulate um, like air quality and water quality and all this kind of thing. But it's like, oh, no, let's um, not put stipulations on that so that, you know, we could do better business. Do you, you see what I'm saying? So all that stuff is a part of uh, <clears throat> like neoliberal uh, neoliberal practices, neoliberal thought. So um, in general, you know, that's that's a part of what they teach people in their political education is what neoliberalism is um, and also, you know, what capitalism is and how to be anti-capitalist and how to fight against it. Um, so, uh, what else is there? I talked about, oh yeah, like I said, I, um, I also learned about, um, how folks are taking care of water and there's a lot of sacred practices around taking care of water. Are they right off the, when you say taking care of water, is Mm -hmm. it like, um, what type of body of water? Because they're by the Pacific Ocean, right? Well, they are in Santiago. They're about an hour away from the actual beach. Okay. Yes, the Pacific, but they're about an hour away from like the actual beach. Okay. But um, just water in general. Understood. You know, like their how water to, systems, system. how to preserve water, how to clean water, you know, how to uh, protect water, how to work with water. Understood. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just... It wasn't just people from Chile, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's people from Brazil there. We were there. There's delegations from all over South America that were there. So this is a, a, a bigger conversation that was happening with people from multiple countries as well. Okay. And, um, you know, I thought that was super powerful. Um, there were some good conversations about people's solutions for ecology of the planet and food sovereignty and how folks are confronting patriarchy across the Americas. And I met... Um, some different people from Friends of the Earth. And there was a great gathering uh, workshop on the financialization of nature and how the neoliberal fight is connected to the climate struggle. So with that, when we talk about food sovereignty, I talk about that a lot on here. You got food sovereignty, food security. And when you talk about food sovereignty, it's, you know, making it's communities making decisions about like their food, right? So like what kind of food they want to have and what kind of food they want to plant and what's good for them. And when we look at, if we want to look at our communities, let's say like a community like where I live, we don't even really have a grocery store. So when we talk about food sovereignty we're talking about pe- what if the people in, in the community can make a decision as to you know we want to you know have this kind of food or that kind of food right mm-hmm. and so that's that's where we have to get to i mean ultimately we're going to get to growing our own food um when i say that i mean in our community i'm a member of detroit black community food security network there's detom farms a black farm um, and, you know, shouts out to them, shouts out to all the farmers, you know, that we know, all the urban farmers and black farmers that we know and that are growing food. I think 
just in general, everyone's going to have to start growing their own food. If you want to have decent food and healthy food and, and, and fresh herbs to do, to treat yourself and do your medicine, that's what we have to do. We've been saying that, but I'm just like, this like really helps me understand that that's what needs to happen. Time is now. Um, I listen to a lot of folks talk about just transition from a global perspective. Mm-hmm. We always talk about just transition on here and it's basically justice within a transition. How do we go from the society and the things that we have now to making better choices, you know, for ourselves and building better systems for ourselves. Um, <clears throat> there was a, a, a lot of talk was around how folks are visioning themselves in the future and how we transform structures and how we build in time to dream and how we bring in healing and rituals and honoring our stories and our truths of our elders and adults and youth and how we start with women. Mm. Um, There was lots of art and art classes, speaking of healthy food and healthy cooking classes, using arts and culture to heal and lots of workshops about human rights and access to resources and support for honoring rich culture. We did a lot of talking about pollution and safety and colonialism and racism (laughs) and capitalism and how land and waste are part of the commons and how we need to protect them and not just focus on fighting against extractivism, but also rising of the people together. Mm. We saw so much street art everywhere. I was just going to say, you mentioned rich culture. All over the place in almost every wall. I thought that was super powerful. I mean, we saw, I mean, almost every single wall, and it was all political. What do you think roots them in being in and respecting and loving and protecting the visual arts the way that they do? What does that mean? I think they use it as a tool. I think culturally, that's a part of their culture is using art and music and dance and song and poetry and writing and just visual art as a tool. They, you what's, know. what's funny is, is that that's what you do. It is. Right? Yeah. You know, a lot of the spaces that you, that you, when you're going places. Maybe that's places, why I connected to it so much. Man, like that's exactly what you do. It right? resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I want to see that much art here. I need to see that all over the place. It here. should be here. Like, it's regulated here. Gosh. Um, so I thought that was super powerful. They have a saying, the walls are talking. <laughs> and <clears throat> that's cool. It's because it was so much political art. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was political art everywhere. Everything is all political art. All this, their hip hop, their rock, their soul, their funk, their jazz, their reggae, their reggaeton, their punk, everything was political art. Um, what else? Oh, they're, well, you know, their culture, like culturally, Their whole culture is just infused with, you know, with visual art, with political visual art. You know, they, um, like I said, it's like dance and music and it's just political art everywhere. Um, And every, every turn, there's just art all over the place. And wherever someone is either like making art or there's art already there, you know what I'm saying? You're going to see some political art like somewhere. Um, I attended a workshop <clears throat> talking about the destruction of the forest and how the country has been working to bring in the military to do so 
and they're killing families and destroying the Amazon and they're extracting oil. That was not just Brazil. That was like all over South America. Hmm. Um, we learned that folks are using permaculture um, that Piper? and a lot of permaculture as a solution. So let's look up a proper definition for permaculture. Um, but in general is work in general is working with the plants like where you live like nature as it is in in your climate as it exists so um it says is a set permaculture is a set of design principles centered on whole systems thinking simulating or directly utilizing the patterns and resilient features observed in nature in natural ecosystems it uses the principles in a growing number of fields from regenerative agriculture, rewilding, and community resilience. Blah, blah, blah. Who does this? Psychology. Blah, blah, blah. It talks about it has many, you know, uh, branches, including uh, integrated water resource management. I mean, all, all, all types of stuff. But in general... Um, there's like 12 principles and yeah, so you can look that up, but that's, that's the long and short of it. And so we talked about, um, doing food, like doing more food and farming classes, um, cultivation classes and classes on how to clean your soil. I need to learn how to clean soil. That Mm -hmm. sounds interesting. Uh, we talked about moving away from false solutions and resisting false solutions. Resisting false solutions. So, like band aids. False solutions are really given by corporations. So, with DTE, DTE. If you know, in Detroit, we have a monopoly energy company um, called DTE, and. <clears throat> there is another energy company called Consumers Energy. But wait, so in New York, y'all have more than, they had more than one? There's Con Ed. I mean, yeah, there were different ones. Okay. I mean, you have a big one, like a big general one. But there's other ones. But there's other ones. I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And so here in Detroit, you know, they mostly have a monopoly. They have Consumers Energy, but they don't really have that many customers. Mm-mm. And then... Um, and they don't do, they don't do electrical. They do... Is it gas? Yeah. They do gas. Um, so, yeah, DTE is truly an, uh, an electrical monopoly. They don't provide electric. Consumers doesn't. I don't think. Consumers I think consumers does provide some. Do they? Uh, yeah, Electricity, I think so. maybe in some other I think places. so. I don't think here in Detroit. I okay. think in some other cities. Okay. They do. But, um, yeah, because, so, you know, in some more rural places, some people have consumers. Okay. But, um, you know, DTE is here, like, you know, fighting against... Uh, having community-owned solar. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, we could be having, you know, solar <laughs> if it wasn't uh, for them, you know. But in general, they have a plan, and part of their plan is saying that uh, in response to climate change, <coughs> excuse me, that they're going to... Uh, be able to move towards natural gas. So they're going to move from what they're currently doing and they're going to have more nuclear 
and more natural gas. Now, nuclear causes cancer. They call it clean energy, but it's just terrible. It's, it's really horrible. And then natural gas releases methane. Methane is an asphyxiant. An asphyxiant means it strangles you. It steals your air. Um, and so they're offering quote-unquote natural gas and nuclear as an alternative as clean energy sources that they're going to move to from coal. Mm-hmm. And coal is terrible. And then they even have something called clean coal, which is like... It's an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. So those would be considered false solutions. But they're really, you know, they're going to offer, get offered carbon credits, you know, and all this type of corporate welfare. So, <laughs> but the thing is, is that a better solution would be community-owned solar, Right where communities would be able to own their own solar panels and create their own energy sources. Um, <clears throat> but they're blocking that because they want everyone to be on their system. So that's a current fight that we have here. That's just localizing the understanding of it. But in general, in all the different you know, companies, there are different false solutions to like different issues and problems and Basically, what the false solutions do is allow the corporations to continue to make money and look like they're actually doing something better when they're actually doing something worse or equally as terrible as they were before, you know? Yep. But it makes people feel better because when people don't do their research, then they don't know. It sounds good, right? Yeah. Clean coal. Oh, it's much better. Coal that's clean? Right. Or nuclear is clean energy. Like, right, that sounds better. Or, um, you know, uh, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, gas, natural gas. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's terrible. It's like, it's going to choke you to death. It's natural, Piper. I know. But anyway, so, yeah, so we talked about moving away from false solutions and resisting false solutions. Uh, We also talked a lot about the feminist economy and the feminist ecology and how we are interdependent as human beings that are codependent with nature and how this is fundamental to live. So with that, um, we had to talk about how feminism is a, the other F word for black women. <laughs> and that, you know, when you say a word like feminism, that can really scare Black women, indigenous women, Latinx women, because historically, feminism has been white and it hasn't included all these other women or or, or our needs or our concerns or our bodies um, or our protection. And so uh, when we talk about a feminist economy, we're talking about the vis- the visibilization of care work and unpaid work, um, meaning all the work that that is so-called women's work, you know, taking care of the home, taking care of children, what, what folks would call babysitting or child care or elder care, um, you know, taking care of sick folks, like all this work that is either unpaid or underpaid, maids, you know, services, like all this work that's either unpaid or underpaid, and undervalued where you're taking care of other people, whole human beings and not being paid, you know, 
like uh, like as if a CEO is more valuable to pay than someone who is taking care of your children and raising your children and helping, you know, make sure your children are safe and fed and okay. And how we look at that. And it's not to say that folks will be paid the same amount of money, but how do we value that work? Like, what is the value of that work? And how do we value that work? Mm -hmm. How do we value these people? How do we value the people that do this work? So that's what we're more looking at as far as like, you know, feminist economy. And also to... I like the, I like, not when you break that down, I like Mm -hmm. that word a lot. Feminist economy. Mm -hmm. It's deep. Yeah. And this is the part that I like. How we are, the feminist ecology, how we are interdependent as human beings that are codependent with nature Nature. and how this is fundamental to live. It is. And I like that because a lot of times we think that we're codependent as human beings and that we're independent of nature, but it's the opposite. We, I think, I think we want to think the the correct way to say it, but our actions are completely opposite. Yeah. Our actions are the opposite. I mean, it's unreal. Mm -hmm. It's unreal. It's like almost as we work against nature with the natural gas and the yeah clean coal. Right, but, right, right. All right, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, we talked a lot about how markets exploit women's bodies and how uh, what is essential for life is the center of our concern and we need more autonomy and we need to rebuild ecology and we need energy sovereignty mm-hmm. and we need the strength to build hope. And we need to map our own territories and we need to understand that maps have a military use. And so we need to map our own territories and make our own self-defense. We do. <clears throat> yeah, it was so much. It was so wonderful in this whole week. Um, in our conversation, we discussed that many people are poor and desperate for money and people don't have sustainable ways to survive. And it's easy to sway people with the things they need to survive, such as money. And that's why it's difficult to ask folks to fight for our causes because they are fighting to survive and we have to learn how to live off the land and produce differently. (coughs) That's deep. Yeah. That's so deep. (coughs) Yeah. Um, I read that as instead of fundraising in the hood, we're going to learn how to clean the soil in the hood so we can grow more food. Right. Right. I mean, finding a way, making a way that's literally making, creating good solutions. Like, that's so intentional. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, Let me see. What else did I... I wrote so much stuff. This is like a week's worth of, like, writing in each thing. Uh, we <clears throat> So some of it, like I said, is like, you know, might be repeating myself. Um. I said we need clean energy, we need energy democracy, uh, which is where the people decide what kind of energy they choose. Uh, We need to mainstream gender priorities in various sectors. I know that's a lot of words, but basically... (laughs) We need to prioritize gender... Meaning like... What'd you say again though? We need to mainstream gender priorities in various sectors. So like at the United Nations, right? It needs to be made official 
like, you know, about women's rights in every single sector that they deal with, you know, health and, and everything. <coughs> um, we need to practice a social solidarity economy and we need to produce and sell products that care for one another and create resources for other people. So a social solidarity economy is really where it's like trading more or less, <laughs> you know, like let's say you do graphic design and I do video and then we can do for each other. You see what I'm saying? Um, or like you have some bread and I've got some tomato and Sanaa has some lettuce and Kari got, you know what I'm saying? Like some hot sauce, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, and then we all come together, we can like, you know, we have a feast, we have a meal. So it's basically, basically like, how are we coming together to build things together and how are we sharing and how are we doing exchanges of energy and resources so that we can not just make money as the most valuable thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And how do we, how do we still function like without money? You know, on a high level, right? Um, We need to fight against neoliberalism. I said that before. And fight for better conditions of living and challenge the, the ideas that the poor are the problem and not the system and strengthen social relationships, which are our strongest resources. So one thing I saw there that was so amazing is they looked at the system. Completely, like, everybody that was there knows that the system is the issue, not one another. And I thought about, like, our community, when we always talk about black community here in the States, in Detroit, it's like, we hate each other. We have, we have animosity towards each other. We don't have an understanding that our common enemy is the system. And that anger and that frustration in Chile, what we saw, we saw them pointing at directly at the system you know but it wasn't just like one group of people it was multiple groups of people different classes elders you know middle class working class youth poor folks I mean just everybody was like yeah it's the system um they do political education on a daily basis with the focus on anti-capitalist framework and challenging neoliberalism. And I thought that was very powerful, and I think we could benefit greatly from doing the same thing or similar. Arts and culture is infused in and a part of everything they do. I believe that is also, you know, a very powerful method to reach uh, many people. They lead with the feminist teachings that are inclusive, and they are constantly challenging racism. And I see this methodology as very needed. Um, while I was there, I appreciated having lunch and dinner with folks on a daily basis. I think that was a great way to get to know one another. Um, our delegation was amazing. Um, I want to shout out to Chris, Ramon, Tere, Marion, Jaron, Hendrick. And everyone up from the World March of Women and everyone, everyone from the Cumbre. Oh, oh, 
And also, uh, uh, oh my God, is it Marisa? Yeah, Marisa. <laughs> I mean, Marisa. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was like so amazing. Um, what else? Um, oh my God, I'm almost done, guys. Oh, um, I was, I was like, oh, I could write a strong summary about the strengths of each person. You know what I'm saying? That was at the uh, delegation, but I'll just suffice it to say that this is the crew that you want to take with you if you want to survive and thrive. Interesting. Um, Like I said, our host was the World March of Women, and I thought they did an incredible job taking care of us, teaching us, making us feel welcome and comfortable, helping us understand the struggles in Chile, as well as Peru, Paraguay, Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, Bolivia, Ecuador, and other challenges in South America. I met people from all those countries that I really connected with. Um, Shouts out to my two interpreters (laughs) for helping me understand everything and be able to speak to the group. Um, Do they speak Spanish? What do they speak in Chile? Is it Spanish? Spanish, yeah. Um, And each each of these countries had uh, representative leaders from various indigenous communities as well, helping everyone connect to their concerns and th- there was so much deep learning, and um, I could just go on and on and on, but I just want to say it was a truly transformational experience, and I have many tools to take back to my community. Yay! So those are that's just like my basic thoughts. I hope people didn't like hang up or go to sleep. <laughs> no, I mean we we talked through them, and you know, shouts out to you for always um, going away and unselfishly always thinking about us while you're gone and thinking about how you can implement and apply. The key to life is application. Yeah. Especially in the positions that we're in, especially when you see so many common similarities, you know. I wanted to ask you a question about them being considered a democracy. Is some of what you picked up that even though it's not a dictatorship behind the the, the screens, it really still is? Is it that? Or- yeah. <clears throat> so we went because COP25, which is a, a summit that happens um, where basically governments and business come together to make decisions about climate. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to happen in Santiago, Chile, but the uh, the leader of Chile, of Santiago, Chile, said no, uh I don't want to have it here. So it got moved to Madrid. Okay. So we had two teams and one team went to Madrid and the other team went to Chile because we were like, we're still going to focus on Chile. We want to center our focus on Chile. Okay. And so that's what we did. Very Mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. Any other takeaways? Oh my God. We went in. Not that you're back here. Yeah. We, um, we did a march with them, and it was incredible. I saw the drumming. So we did two marches. So one march we did was with them to go to the center. They, Like I said, they've been marching over 55 days in the streets, and it's been pretty tumultuous for them. We only got to see a little bit of it, but that was a lot for me as an American. You know what I'm saying? Like, tear gas that we saw you know tanks and you know 
uh, the police throwing, you know what I'm saying, like water cannons and stuff at the at people and people's eye getting knocked out and stuff like that. So that was like very traumatic to see. But at the same time, people have opened up a lot of power for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so while it was very tumultuous and a little like scary, <laughs> a lot scary, um, when when you went into the center, you saw the amount of power that folks had opened up for themselves. Mm. And you saw them just like take over the center and take over a statue and just like putting their flags up <laughs> and just like doing their graffiti and just like doing their dancing and singing and, you know, flash mobbing. And it was amazing. It was scary. But at the same time, it was so much culture and everything. That it was like, wow, it was so powerful. It was over 100,000 people That's just like unreal. in the streets, just like rebelling, resisting, singing, dancing, marching, drumming, and just like bringing art. There's signs. It was color. It was like, wow, it was amazing. I mean, I know we didn't see the most violent parts. If you look it up, you could, this has really been violent, you know, against the police. Or the police against them, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, the amount of power they've opened up for themselves allow us to like go there and and have that beautiful experience. Like I actually saw freedom, and I I had to cry because mm. I realized in that moment just how free everyone was for that moment. That level of freedom. That everyone was for that moment. And I realized like, oh man, in the States, we are so programmed that we are genetically modified, genetically engineered to obey. Yes. We are so obedient. And... It was like, wow, I I just opened up. Another day, we went into the community. We went into what we would call here the hood. And it was the most beautiful experience ever. Mm. Into the Pueblo. Like, deep inside, you know? And it was in a certain community, and it was called La Bandera, which Mm. means, like, the flag. Okay. And they had it was a special day for them. They had a fair. And at this fair, they had a community wall and like families were doing graffiti on this wall together, political graffiti together from babies and daddies, like all the way up mothers, fathers, everyone was working on this political wall. You can go on my Facebook and see, I post a video of every, every, my, the entire experience um, in Chile this week. You went, uh... They had food. They had they had a political theater. <laughs> they did some political theater where they, you know, <clears throat> kind of talked about a big corporation that was responsible for like killing people mm. with their product. Um, they had different, you know, the different ethnic um, groups did had like a section in this parade. And the parade went like all through the town. And it was a roughly about an hour. But it started out with like a march at the beginning. And they had all of the... It's a town that's known historically for being 
for having resistance against the system. So they had a lot of people that have been murdered. Hmm. And so they had their pictures all around with like a little caption about them. And then they had people in walking that had their picture held up with their, you know, with their little blurb or something. And everybody had them either on their back or had them on their hand or they just walked around with them. Mm -hmm. It was like, that was the most powerful thing I saw for real. It was like a lot of martyrs there and Mm. they just walked through the streets. So you heard the drummers, like the drum line was like beating drums for them. The dancers danced for them and they had all the amazing handmade costumes that was just beautiful Nice all colors. The colors yeah. and just, it was amazing. I like, see it. And it was all for their fallen heroes. And mm. some of them were young. You know, a lot of them were young. You saw the passion you were telling me? Oh my goodness. The passion and intentionality with which folks do things there. I'm like, that's what I want to, that's what I want to see in my community. In my community, I feel like people are going to be like, hey, but I'm going to be honest right now. In my community in the States, I feel like in Detroit, I don't see that passion. I see a lot of half-ass. I see a lot of people doing half-ass stuff. Well, you just said it. <clears throat> what? The programming, the genetically modified. Maybe so, but I also think, you know, the- people just feel like they're so beaten, you know? That too. And the capital, I think it's the capitalism. Like, I think if we can break people's brains from capitalism... And people could just see, like, how tied to capitalism they are and how rich their lives could be if they weren't so tied to capitalism. And I want to make one thing clear. We talk about capitalism Mm -hmm. a lot on the show. Mm -hmm. And we, I want to separate. You have to have currency to live in this country. Oh, yeah. You have to have currency. So we're not being the people who think that you need to, like, go and like not buy clothes and to be naked and Mm -hmm. to like roast squirrels like i'm not saying you said roast squirrels we're not saying that we're just saying roast a squirrel as a vegan there's (laughs) roast dandelions from otter drive but hilarious uh we will do that though okay (laughs) make some tea (laughs) that's the best but the point that i'm making is Mm -hmm. is that there is a thin line between survival and greed. And we're living in a space where we cross it every single day. And and there's so and, much depression, egg. right? Yeah. Of what people don't have. I mean, think of just, just a holiday like Christmas. Think of the levels of depression that people have. And I'm not talking about the family stuff. I'm just talking about the money stuff. Yeah. You want to talk about freedom? Do you not know how free I felt for the first time I decided I wasn't going to do Christmas by Christmas gifts? Mm. That was a feeling that I never knew existed. Like, I felt lifted. Like, I never knew how much uh, depression and anxiety came along with figuring out what to get people at that specific time. Like, all that pressure. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, I mean, that's just one time, right? So... Just think of like the depression that comes from not being able to pay a phone bill or losing a job right. or um, not having the right outfit or not having the shoes to go with something or, you know, not being able to get mm. your hair done or, I'm with you. you know, not, not being able to buy this type of makeup or not having this certain look or just not being able to drive this type of car 
or or now that you got this car, you got this new job, everyone has this car, so you got to upgrade, so now you're not able to upgrade. What about where you live and you don't have this and have that? It's all these things that you need to have. You have to have this degree and that degree. You're not valuable enough. You can't serve in your community because you need to be paid because, you know, the university paid you and now all this activism and stuff is a career and a job, so you're not going to help anybody unless you're getting a check. I mean, here, the left, you know, or even just the opposites, right? You're a teacher and you're not valued because you quote unquote just teach. So you make less money. And so you have to live a substandard living, but yet you're giving all of your time to other people's children and you don't really even have time for your own children or yourself. You know what I'm saying? Just little things like that. Or the fact that things cost so much money and you're not able to afford them because you don't make enough money. And if you want to eat better food, then you got to make better money because they put crappy food in, in cheap places and vice versa. They put crappy food that's expensive in the hood. And so it's not affordable, but yet it's accessible. It's the only thing you have mm-hmm. access to. And then the food that <clears throat> is better for you is not in a neighborhood that you can access. And it's also not at a price that you can access. So there's just all these different things. So to me, even just trying to have conversations with people about, you know, or just like I was saying, my community meeting a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the elders was saying, if she saw, when she sees young men gathered in her, on her block, she calls the police on them. So I asked her, I said, so if you just see young men there, you're going to call the police, whether they're doing something or not? She was like, yeah. I'm like, why? She's like, because they don't have no business being there. I'm like, wow. So if they're just living while black in a black body and it's too many of them that you think shouldn't be there enjoying that much life together, you're going to call the police on them? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, why? She's like, because they need to be somewhere in a program doing something. I'm like, in our neighborhood, we don't have a a high school. We don't have a community center. We don't have any businesses. We don't have a grocery store. We don't have a library. We don't have a hospital. We we don't have like a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, stuff exists, but... Most of the stuff is like three miles away, four miles away, six miles away. If these young people don't have access to transportation, guess what? They about to be over Ray Ray house, hanging out, outside, chilling. It doesn't mean that they're quote unquote trying to get into trouble. Yeah, we've been taught as a society to fear and hate black people and young black men we've been like i asked her what what do you think it will look like if you offered them some cookies or if you asked them if they could help you do some things around in your yard and you could give them like a dollar or two or five dollars or whatever you understand what i'm saying like it's just to the point where I know people are like, what does this have to do with capitalism? 
What a I'm lot. what I'm saying is because of the structures in our community. <clears throat> I also didn't even mention that we don't have street lights in our community. They not you know they turn off our lights. It's crazy. That's been a running joke since the '90s in Detroit about the street lights. No, no street lights. But this is the thing. All this money being invested, y'all can't put no dang on street lights. They turn them off on purpose. And so what I'm saying is, is that it's all tied to capitalism as to who deserves and who doesn't deserve. Yep. In Detroit, the narrative is they overbuilt the city and now it's underoccupied. I, there's truth in that, but I think there, there, I do believe there's truth. A tiny That's bit of the truth justification that. they use. For turning off all the services in my neighborhood. Now, they turned off the services back in 2007 and 2008. It's 2019. This is, a, this is like a decade. You feel me? They definitely... Look at look at, look at at Dan Gilbert's... So, I'm, I'm going to address a couple of things. Look at Dan Gilbert's playbook. And it's the same recipe of how the city was built. It's, he's overbuilding. He's overpopulating... The economy and it doesn't match the occupancy. Listen, to what I'm saying. Hear me. What well, he's get- done is brought in people to fill up the properties that he's developed. He's brought in a population that's not from Detroit to fill up his, uh, excuse me, his his properties. He's so over, he's he's overbuilt at this point. What I'm saying is the idea of <clears throat> the overbuild that the, the way in which it's being used is that that's why we need to shut down services in the hood. This is how they use it. They say that's why we need to shut down everything in the hood and those people need to leave and move over to these other neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean that's that. That's that, what they're that's, saying. That that's where the truth becomes false because we all know that that's basically that's a, that's how they that's how they grab your property. Yeah, exactly. There you go. They want they they're taking their go. property from you. So, but I'm saying that that's how they're using that narrative. I, agree. I hear you. I hear At you. the same time, the development that he's doing, you're right. The development that he's doing, what he's doing is instead of building for the existing people that live here yes he's farming in people from other cities to move here to be in those properties and they get offered free rent for like three years or you know free mortgage for three years with an option to buy after three years they're getting offered like a hundred thousand dollars hundred fifty thousand dollars investment in their business for the next three years, for their business idea for the next three years. And so there's a lot of like untaxed income that's rolling through where citizens are not benefiting. The existing citizenry is not benefiting from most of the business that's happening in downtown. That's the way it looks in Detroit. And so the same thing with the, uh, the stadium that was built, you know, the um, Little Caesars Arena, that was supposed. They took one third of the school money, so one. So they're they're crazy. free of taxes because they agreed that the one third of the school money of the taxes that was supposed to go to Detroit public schools, they don't have to, you know, give that. 
as much as our schools need, as much as our schools are in deficit, I mean, they just unreal. took it out of the pockets of the kids. So with that, this is capitalism. This is neoliberalism. Mm. This is deregulation. This is privatization. That's the extreme capitalism. They're, they put all this money in the police and militarization. I don't know if you saw at the fireworks... I'm sorry, at the Christmas uh, tree lighting, they brought out those tanks to show people their tanks that they have, the um, Detroit Police Department. Did you see that? And people were taking pictures in front of the tanks. <laughs> I'm serious. You didn't see this? I first thought. No, you didn't I, see this. I, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, people but were taking out, selfies in front of the new tanks that Dan the police Gilbert department has. For benchmark, giving me a chance to benchmark <clears throat> how to build because... Man. Well, part of what I say I that learned, sarcastically, but kinda. part of what I learned in Chile and Brazil and everywhere else that I go is that we have to do most of our building from where we are. Like how Kari's doing. How Kari's building all this up. Respect. Facts. Hundred. And we need to build our own resources. With that, it's difficult because where does the money come from? Where does the money come from to build up Detroit is different? Where does the money come from to build up in my neighborhood, to build up where we live? Where does this money come from? Right. Who's, who, like, it's got to come from somewhere because some of this stuff just costs money, like you said. So that's where it, um, it's going to be necessary to do a lot of this political education because we have to have folks appreciate Mm-hmm. A resource like Detroit is different, or a resource like Submerged Records and Underground Resistance. Agreed. You know, a resource like Bamboo. Mm-hmm. Shouts out to Amanda Lawan. You know, shouts out to that whole building. That um, the Madison building. Yeah. Shouts out to Sharon Madison in the Madison building. I mean, we have resources in our community. Shouts out to uh to Yusef that um created a community house. Over there where, you know, Yusuf used to be, um, Yusuf Shakur used to be um, in a community organization, a.k.a. a gang, uh, over in my neighborhood, and it was called Zone 8. And <clears throat> that's around the 14th Street area, close to West Grand Boulevard, around there. And he went to prison um, I want to say he did like 10 or 15 years or something like that. Then he came out, he wrote a few books. Hmm. He got knowledge itself inside. He's been building in community ever since, working with young men, helping to build up young men, helping to build up his community, um, helping to build uh, this community house in his community. And he finally has the resources to get it going. And so now... Um, it's going to it's going to be a place for folks in that community. Nice, yeah. Shouts out to him. Shouts out, you know. Real. Shouts out to Baba Malik and D Town Farms and um, Detroit Black Community Food Security Network and and all the folks that we know that have spaces that are struggling to just be, mm-hmm. you know, and but that are thriving and surviving and don't have grant money 
don't have the assistance of the big foundations and the big grants, um, it's very difficult to be independent, to be, you know, self-sufficient without, you know, going to a lot of these different corporations and quote unquote selling out. All money is blood money. We're not saying that you can't escape that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, nah. But yeah. Oh, and and before that, I didn't get to tell you all about the best racial justice um, training that I received. What's that? Racial Equity Institute, I believe it's called, in North Carolina. Shouts out to Rainy Lynn and Jamal Kennard and the other trainers from there did an amazing job with Global Detroit and Design Corps. And they did a the best racial justice training for corporate that I've ever seen. It was done from a historical perspective, from a factual perspective. They went all the way from 1619 all mm-hmm. the way up to now and looked at every single policy 1619 because that's when the first slave ship landed in Jamestown Mm. Virginia and in ode to the 1619 project which also has lots of great curriculum I think throughout our time here we need to look at the 1619 project okay it's really powerful. The 1619 Project? Yes, yeah, from the New York Times writer. Okay. And so it's, it's so much, so much to look up. It's like really dynamic. But in general, they looked at all the policies from then until now, not just that created the oppression of blacks and women and indigenous people, mm-hmm. but also that secured the success of white folks, how the identity of white was created so that we wouldn't get together. Um, All the policies that secure, we've heard of redlining. They talked about greenlining. They talked about visibilizing the privilege and how we, you know, what's called, do something called marking. There was so much lessons in, what I learned from them, I wrote down like pretty much everything, different court cases um, that were won, you know, throughout time and just all of the different policies that were created, not only to keep blacks from being able to live certain places or be in certain hospitals or vote or take advantage of certain opportunities, but also the ones that ensured that whites were able to do all the opposite Mm -hmm. and visibilizing all that privilege. It was amazing. It dealt strictly with policy and laws, which I thought was a great way to like address that. And we looked at health. We looked at banking and finance. We looked at education, schools, university endowments, where they come from. Did it bring Who owns what? Did it bring everything you've ever known, ever learned in a different way to more to life when you looked at it through the policies? Most of it I knew, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um <clears throat> but what I thought was powerful about it, well, I think most of the people there didn't really know most of those policies. But for me, what I thought was powerful was the way in which they did it. 
Okay. Like lining it up like that and focusing just on the policies. Gotcha. Which I think is a bit different than having a conversation and then talking about there was a policy, if that makes sense. Did you get, you know how you watch certain... Centering the policies is, is the key. Did you, um, did it keep you from getting overly emotional? No. People got just as emotional. Okay. I'm just curious. Pete, now me personally, I got emotional when I saw other people get emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I saw people struggling with this stuff, when I saw white folks saying like, I never thought about it this way. I never saw it this way. But, I thought not, black I'm- people had it better because of this. Blah, blah, blah. And one of the most powerful moments ever in that training was there was a moment where, because they didn't just like teach us where like they just tell us a bunch of information. Mm-hmm. They would present stuff and we'd have to look it up. Okay. So you have to do a lot of work on your own. I like in that. In this training. I, I like that. that. So you see it for yourself. And so at one point they talked about. It's decoding. I'm sorry. Yeah, ahead. it's decoding. So at one point they talked about um, black communities that. <clears throat> had been uh, financially successful as an entire community. So Oklahoma was one of those. Shout out to the Watchmen community. on HBO. Yeah, shout out to Watchmen. Man, that's crazy. But I'm going to let you finish. We got to talk about that. Okay. But um, yes, yeah, so Oklahoma was one of those communities. There was, a, there was two in North Carolina. Okay. okay. Same thing pretty much happened okay. in each community. They were destroyed. And so <clears throat> there was that. And then... Uh, we talked about how there were various communities that were created for white folks after the depression and all of the different um, benefits that were created for white folks after the depression through the new deal that secured, you know, housing, jobs, all types of stuff for white folks and how folks were able to, you know, create and gain wealth and build wealth after that. And so, one of the white people that was in the thing was like, but isn't there a black, aren't there black, you know, communities that are successful, like financially successful, like, you know, where that have a lot of wealth? And he was like, oh, okay, can you look them up? And that was like, maybe like the first day, maybe second day, not sure. Or maybe it was the first day, I don't know, but... I just know at the very end of the training, like after we had had like lunch and time had passed and we've been on to a few different topics. and So when we were doing our reflection and we go around, uh, one of the white people was like, you know, I wasn't I wasn't able to find a black community that was that's, you know, financially successful. And he was like, I wasn't either. So it was just this type of thing like I was waiting for you for you to yeah. Yeah, it was just this type <laughs> of thing where it was like, yeah, you know, like that's what we're saying is that the policies that are created for all these white communities to be built so that white folks could be successful, there's equal policies that were created so that black folks it's could so, not be successful. It's so powerful. Like I remember when I first like moved to the city. I mean, I always understood the structure of the city because everything I did was in the city. But when you move to the city, it's different, duh, right? So I'm like, dang, like, 
I started understanding like zoning more, started understanding like how you ask yourself, like, how is it a liquor store on every corner? How is it this on every corner? And then you start to understand zoning. You start to understand politics and you start to understand how things come about. But I say all this to say I have a homegirl who's brilliant. Shout out to Chef Nick. And she, um, I don't want to spill too much, but she wants to open up a, uh, a community store that does serve liquor so she can bring in a certain type of clientele that can support the community aspect of what she's doing. And so she said that when she went in front of the zoning board, their question to her was, is you're going to be in between two pre-existing stores. Don't you think you're going to disrupt their business? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, they asked you that? Yeah. Like, like what they didn't think that for the 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 other two stores down the street that are that close in proximity the way the it's it's probably in the same distance that you're going to be in But were those stores new? Uh the I don't know if they were new. I don't have all the detail. That's what I'm saying so like when you're new and you go into an existing community they're going to ask you those questions. Maybe because so. they're going to give they're going to give um like precedent to existing businesses. But it's just crazy to me. I mean, come on Piper. I mean, we already know who predominantly runs those type of stores in these communities. And it would just be interesting. I'm sure they get asked the same questions, but I just don't think that from talking to her alone, I just don't think that they have the same hurdles. I guarantee if it was if it was one of them who have already had two or three pre-existing stores in the city, their process wouldn't, wouldn't be as difficult as hers is right now. Well, definitely if they have, if anyone has a couple of businesses already, then, then there's some level of understanding of how to navigate, right? True. So, so just the understanding of the navigation alone True. is going to change that. But I guess what I'm saying is like, if you want to go open up a store, right? Mm-hmm. No matter where it is, mm-hmm. tomorrow, they're going to th- give precedent to whatever business is already there and that's just the, that's just the way it is they're gonna give those businesses precedent maybe <clears throat> no for real i believe yeah those those businesses are gonna get precedent now that's not to say that there isn't you know racism classism i'm not saying that that doesn't also play into it but i'm just saying in general right that's that's gonna be a thing like oh there's existing businesses there so they're going to get precedent. Now, if you have real bread and real money, then you're going to bypass all of these systems. That's all I'm saying. If you to have, the point if that you have bread and money, then you're not going to have to deal with none of these systems. And capitalism. And so that's capitalism. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but you were telling me about the Watchmen. The Watchmen. Like, I uh, I don't watch much TV, <clears throat> but I did watch. Uh, I do. I'm a, I've always been a fan of HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a pretty decent job when it comes to film, I think, and capturing things. Mm-hmm. and um, Or at least distributing people who know how to capture things the right way. But um, The Watchmen, which I'm not familiar with the comic book at all, and I'm going to familiarize myself with it a little bit more. And even though she's probably not listening, shout out to Regina King because she's just so timeless. Yes, she is. It's just unreal. And, you know, I'm still on the first episode but it really threw me off because I've never seen a visualization of Oklahoma. Uh, uh, you didn't see the... <clears throat> there's, a, there's a couple of films about it. 
I've never seen see it. Those. I've never right, seen it like this. Films. I don't know if I've ever seen I think I've seen one. I'm telling you, this was different. Of course, yeah. This was crazy, like. But I'm not trying to compare the two because they're both equally needed. The more people, there's so many people um, that told me that they didn't, ne- they never knew about it. They never knew about this. They never knew about Oklahoma. Yeah, they mm-hmm. never knew about it. Yeah, it's still, it's, it's still too, like it's, a. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's becoming more known. Mm-hmm. It's becoming more known, and hopefully, the Watchmen helped folks know about it more because that's a popular series. And so, um, I just wanted to just, just even speak, speaking about it, you know, I think at the least, if you're not a TV watcher, you should at least check that out. It's it, the cinematography on it is beautiful. How yeah, they did it, it was amazing. I just unreal. And, um, yeah, it was just good. It's good to see, like you were saying, um, get feedback from people who are like, I never knew this, like. I, I never knew this existed or I thought about this all wrong. Like mm. when you see things click in people's head, I mm. think that is one of the most valuable things when we talk about creating solutions because mm. now you have people's buy-in, you yeah. know, now you, now, now you, now you're able to speak more clearly and you feel more comfortable to tell people how you feel about certain things based on them just having a simple understanding about something that they didn't understand mm-hmm. the first time you spoke with them. Right. So I just thought that was powerful. I think also too, I was trying to wait for my thing to pop up. I had posted about um a book and the book is called um Two Towns uh Black Futures. Mm. And um it's basically about uh the enduring allure of a black place in the American West. And that that's a really good book um that folks should check out about that there's another one mm. my mom was reading it's called black fortunes okay the story of the first six african americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires what and that's by uh shamari willis oh my gosh what's the name of that again that one's called black fortunes black fortunes mm-hmm. wow that's deep yeah and um so yeah, I they think they superseded Frederick Douglass. <laughs> so I think um from a capitalist You know, it's really really important uh to read a lot of history stuff because it's different um reading some things than it is like looking at movies. I agree. So I I'm not putting down any movies. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying in addition, I think it's good to like read some stuff. So I think folks should really check out Oklahoma story. And about what happened in Oklahoma. And there are a few films, documentary films about it. But I would suggest start with some readings. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can start to gain some understanding. And, and, and begin to do some of your own research. Into, like um, <clears throat> into how that town was created. And what happened. Um, to, and, and how it was destroyed intentionally you know and I think that's a really important thing to understand because even when I was in Chile right Mm -hmm. I was thinking about wow the power that folks have opened up for themselves here right this country is super white and the black folks that I talked to for real for real I didn't really see no black folks that much at any of these protests I'll be honest with you 
I really didn't see that much black folks at the protest. And I just kept thinking, if this was a black, like, city, or if this was Detroit, they would send the National Guard and just start killing people. <laughs> I'm no, I'm just laughing. honest with you, bro. I'm just saying, though, no, it's true. And then, then I said that to somebody, and they was like, well, what about Haiti? Because, you know, Haiti's been going through it recently. Their own revolution. Yeah, they've been having their own revolution. And I'm sending lots of love and protection to Haiti. For sure. But I'm going to just be honest. Like, Haiti, man, they've been going through it. You know, getting their supplies and things cut off from them. Like, they're on their own. And Haiti has been on its own ever since it fought against Napoleon for its independence. You know? Mm-hmm. Their neighbors who are the same... Shades of complexion next door treat them horrible. Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it has its own, you know, internalized racism, mm-hmm. colorism thing. And yeah, like Haiti has been, I mean, the Congo, you know, Rwanda. Mm. And what happens is like the levels of poverty that they put folks through with desperation. And that's why we're saying we have to do this anti-capitalist framework is that it pits folks against one another so they put black folks under tremendous amounts of stress and pressure to where you know folks are just harming one another and when the fight really needs to be against the state i mean you just said that i just had an epiphany about how gullible that i am and i used to be so hard on myself for being gullible and it turns the way that people think and strategize with evil intent. But really, I'm not alone when it comes to being gullible. Like, I was sitting in a in a place where people were talking about how to get somebody to quit. And I was like, stop. I thought they were playing. And they were like, what do you mean? Like, we're, we're not joking. Like, this is what you do. Like, eventually this person will get mad the way we treating them. And they'll quit. And I was like, are you for real? And they was like, yeah. I had, and my mom would tell me stuff like about how people have evil intent and they do little strategic things. I used to think she was playing. Because you hadn't experienced it? Is that why? Yes. I didn't think people in this world, I'm like, people aren't that evil. That's only in the movies people are evil mm. like that. What made you not believe it? Was it just, just the fact that you hadn't had the experience? I hadn't experienced it. I mm. Because in my mind, I've never, I the way I was raised, not because I'm this great person, it's just the way that I was raised and what I was around. I wasn't around people thinking like that. Like, oh, I'm going to do this, so this person do that. Like, I never thought you like that. Seen that. I may have done that, do it, have done it. I could probably think the times in my life or times I did stuff and I got in trouble and maybe I did it unconsciously, but that's just not how I was wired because of how I was raised. Mm. And I wasn't raised to be, I wasn't, my mom had me in certain type, you know, she didn't have me in certain type of like completely sheltered, closed in spaces, but because of her mentality and she had a really strong mentality and hold on me, I didn't even conceptualize people thinking like that like mm. so if I if they were if they were even doing it to me I probably wouldn't know that they was doing it because mm. I just didn't my brain didn't work that way to see it so I used to when I finally started like seeing that people could possibly think like that you go back and you read history you're like dang I guess people do think like that like dang I guess that ain't just the movies you start peeling back the layers and you see it all throughout 
not just American history, just about how empires are built in general, period. Yeah. And then I'm like, all right, maybe I can conceptualize this being part of human behavior on a daily basis. And then I started getting less harder on myself. But the point I'm getting at is, is back to the point of us being uh, pacified and us being... Well, Americans in general are socially engineered. And we're socially engineered to be polite and kind and sweet and nice and mm. put on the put on this certain person when you meet people and don't show people who you really are type thing and always be sweet and kind and nice and cordial and respectful and this and that. And when you start to travel the rest of the world, um, then you start to realize how, what that is. And it's not that, you know, you'll meet people from around the world and... If you're an American in general, you'll you probably think that people are mean. <laughs> yeah, rude. But in general, um, that's an American thing. Uh, all that smiling and stuff like that. Like that's what Americans do. Americans smile um, at everyone, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just the way we're socially engineered and trained to be be a good girl, be a good boy. You know, do you present yourself well, type of thing. And so once you start traveling, though, you'll start to see that that's just social engineering. Now, that's just one aspect of it. Um, You'll also start to see, you know, that uh, the news that they show us is watered down. Now we see everything because we have the Internet. But before we had Internet, our news, you know, is was watered down. What we see, uh, what we teach our kids is very you know, watered down. We don't show them the truth. They don't get to really know yeah. uh, the world and in, in, in the way that it exists because everyone's trying to protect them, you yeah. know, from the truth and things like that. And then that's why kids grow up and they learn the truth and they get pissed at their families and yeah. they rebel. rebel yeah. But um, <laughs> in general, when you start traveling and you see, like when we see our kids in the hood and they are very... People say, oh, they're so mature, or they're so angry, or they're so this. Our children remind me of children around the world. That's mm, so deep, Piper. And so they're more mm. connected to reality of what's real, of what's really going I'm on. I'm so glad you just said that. Yeah. It's true. It's the, and there's a power, even over, over more, there's a power that lays within that, mm-hmm. that that old lady that you said that needs to stop calling the police needs to see. There's a power within that realness. Yeah. And until we see it as that, man, and the, and the overall point that I was making about being gullible and being engineered is that we... Could, until we take the time to educate ourselves with policies and history, you'll be, you'll be so surprised how even in 2019, edging on the 2020, how people just don't believe certain things happen. That's just don't believe. Just don't believe certain things. But like, that's what we about. We about to start doing this political education. We gonna <coughs> it's gonna be anti-capitalist <laughs> political education. I mean, 2020, it, we got this election coming up. Yeah, we do. We we got so much to talk about now that we back in rhythm. I'm so oh, excited man. for 2020 for us and the show. I am going to D.C. next week, though. Dang. I'm going to Pittsburgh this weekend, D.C. next week. When are you coming back? <clears throat> um, I'm just doing a couple of days, a couple of days. Just right. just a weekend for Pittsburgh and just like two, three days for D.C. Then I'll be back. All right. And that's for me saying I wasn't going to go nowhere. Remember I said that? <laughs> I wasn't going to go nowhere. Nah, cool. But Do I got a last couple of 
I got Miami in January and like two more trips in January. I'm not remembering. All right. But um, well, um, somewhere in February. That's all I got right now. That's all you got right now? Well, Miami 2021. I got that. I'm going to be there for sure. Yeah. Everybody got to be there. That's for the rising majority. Mm-hmm. We're trying to descend on Miami deep. Yeah. I want to, Um, I mean, it's getting kind of late, but I want to take um, a few minutes and talk about um, get into our hip hop world. Oh, um, yeah. I because still wanna... we uh, got like, what, how many? Three weeks? What? Before January? Yeah. Wow. This year's almost over. It is. Uh, it went by really fast, too. It um, did. Shouts out to uh shouts out to hip hop and shouts out to the evolution of it. And um yeah. I wanna I wanna You wanted to talk about Lizzo's booty or no? Juice World and when Oh he were, man. You know. Okay, for just for a couple seconds, let's just give a moment of silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You know, that was a lot. I love Lil Wayne. And a lot of the times in conversations, like I was telling you, you know, a lot of people are giving a lot of um a lot of energy into figuring <clears throat> out where the where we where we spent the decade in hip hop two thousand tens. And, you know, Lil Wayne is means a lot to hip hop. Yeah. Um, but when we start to dissect certain things and become critical, and I'm not putting the blame on Wayne, um, it's all of us to blame. The consumer is to blame just as much as the artists and the people who book the artists, the people that support and pay the artists. But long story short, I digress. Um, you look at Young Thug, you look at Rest in Peace Juice World, you look at Little Uzi Vert, you look at um, you look at all a lot of these rappers. I can name a good twelve of them. They all look and sound so much like Little Wayne. I'm an alien. I'm a drug addict. Future, you know, future even future is like Wayne. You know what I mean? I'm a I'm a rock star, drug addict. I got seven baby moms. Shout out to black women who bear children for men. So I'm not coming at that concept at all. But there's a roll up to like the way that we perceive um fame. And once we get the fame that we ask for, you know, how we how we what we use as therapy for it Mm -hmm. and so i'm not here to tell people not to do drugs but i'm here people to tell people you know keep your keep your soul pure as pure as you can keep it and know yourself because when you know yourself you won't take yourself down certain paths and knowing yourself is beyond going it goes deeper than you finding and understanding your pain it goes deeper than you enjoying your good it's in it's it it goes beyond you understanding yin and yang and how to balance it. Know yourself and it, it'll it'll help you not go down certain paths. And I'll say that I love hip hop. I love what it represents as far as black men and women being able to express themselves and to be transparent about the things that they've done during their paths. But just be careful. Just be well, careful. Also the pilot alerted <clears throat> the I think the federal authorities and the police that they had brought 
guns and drugs onto the plane. And so they were already waiting for them when they landed. So he was afraid of getting caught by the cops. So he swallowed like a handful of pills. And they say that uh, he went in, his body went into shock and he went into cardiac arrest. And they tried to revive him. And they could hear several times on the radio the officers asking for emergency medical and there being no response for like a long time. And then they finally got the response from the emergency medical and then they came. So it's like a combination of things. I agree. As well. Um, No justification, but just acknowledging it's a, it's a couple of things as you know, in that. Um, Yeah. So, Wow. And, you and know, so young. I think it was like 21. You, Piper, you are a hip-hop baby. And I'll tell you, Juice World. I didn't listen to his music, not a fan of him. But what I got out of him when he before he passed away is he was one of the best freestylers mm. of this generation. Mm. Unreal. I mean, 10, 15 minutes of just going. I mean, and creative. Like, writing the, writing the hooks off his head. Like, misogynistic. But the talent, the mm. creativity... The foresight, all that, just powerful for 21. Mm, like, mm. just powerful. Like, man, you know, one of my favorite songs from 2019 is Mannequin Challenge with Juice World on it. Young Thug and, Young Thug and Juice World. Mm. You know, so <clears throat> just shouts out, you know, um, to his family. You guys, much prayers. You guys, prayers for sure. Yeah. Wow. And so it just, um, it's been a tough year for hip hop. You know, with Mac Miller, you know, with Nipsey, you know, Juice World, a lot, of, you know, it's it's tough. So, you know, um, you know, it's the winter time. It's it's okay to hibernate. It's okay for us to sit still and 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 to let things speak to us. So, you know, know yourself. That's all I'm gonna say. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I I think yeah. Um, the only thing I think is a little different about his is that he swallowed them to like hide I understand from the that. cops. You know what I'm saying? I understand that. I think that does make it a bit different than like an actual like it makes suicide it, or an actual overdose. No, um, understood. And I mean, and that's just the way I look at it. Like maybe I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. But the principle behind what I'm not is what I'm saying doesn't have to do with how he passed away is more so the position on drugs mm-hmm. and how we and how the 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 arts looks at drugs you know and we I have think to also too you know we have to look at the reasons why people are doing drugs agreed there's some real structural reasons why people need to leave this planet for a minute mentally there's some there's some real reasons why people I hear you, are not able to deal with um with things, you know. Uh and like I said, that's not to justify like we any get... any of these like, you know, um behaviors, but I do think that we could tell people like to think and do things and this and that. I think that just looking at it systemically, and that's a lesson I'm taking, like I say, from Chile and from all this work that I do, <clears throat> is we got to really look at these systems. Like, what is making 
a person need to exit their reality. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something that's deep within people that that they need to, like, check out for a minute. Like, um, what's her name? Summer Walker. Summer Walker. Did you, do you remember, like, what was it, just a couple weeks ago? She canceled, like, the rest of her tours and was like, I'm not, I'm not doing any more of these tours. She was like, I need a break. I need time off. I need to do me. And <clears throat> although I think, let's say on a professional level, you could say that's unprofessional. But I got to give it to her on a personal level, you know, to be like, look, I need my mental. She said my mental state. She said, I got to take care of my mental state. So for her to have that level of maturity and strength agree, and courage to speak up to say, I, I, I need to concentrate on what I need to concentrate on. I need to draw lines and boundaries like, this is what I need to do. You know, I, I'm not going to be able to function. I'm not <clears throat> justifying or not justifying. But I will say that um, when people are using drugs, in general, yeah, you know, we might think it's just recreational, having fun, this and that. But usually there's some other things that are going on that are unresolved which is a reason that people want to leave who Agreed. they are. Agreed. You know what I'm saying? And I, I just think we need to kind of And I want to be cl- look at that a little bit. I want to be clear as a society. Yeah, I want to be clear too. Like and that's what I love about what you and I do on a podcast is that we don't always see the same thing from a certain perspective, but it usually our perspectives usually blend so people understand where we come <clears> from in totality. Um but I just want to say where I'm coming from more so too is for the consumer, the, 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 the wannabe rapper, you know, our little cousins, our nephews, um, who don't come from certain specific lifestyles, but who do find the arts interesting and feel that they need to have a certain pack. They need to have a tattoo. They need to have this. They need to have a certain look. They need to do a certain specific things to make it into the arts and mm-hmm. based off their predecessors. And I just wanted to be clear that that is not, that does not make you an artist, you know, and I'm, I'm talking to a specific group of people, I guess with, with my messaging of know who you are and it's okay for you to be who you are. And it's okay for you to enjoy a little Wayne. It's okay for you to enjoy a young thug. It's okay for you to enjoy a future. But they have a, their own paths. They have their own reasoning to your point of why they talk about the things that they do. That doesn't necessarily have to be your path or your message. Right. That's all I'm saying. Right. And that's where we got to deal with some of the structural stuff. Agreed. Which <clears throat> takes me back to we got to do more political education. <laughs> Facts. We do. That's no, we what do. I think we could do. More political education and more arts. Agree. Because like when I was when I had my space and I was doing five EM be honest with you, I didn't allow people to do that stuff in my space. And it was for so long to the point where people would come and they had to challenge themselves because they was like, When we go there, we can't 
do art that talks about drug kill, drug selling and killing and misogyny and what we going to do to chicks and all. We got to like dig deep into like ourselves and like talk about some other stuff. And I think, you know, when people think of hip hop, like I was telling you when I teach at University of Michigan sometimes, a history of hip hop class, one of the white kids got pissed with me one time and was like, every time, why we always got to talk about race? Every time we talk, this is a hip hop class. I ain't here to talk about that. And I was like, you don't get to participate in hip hop without understanding its foundation that was based in the inequities that are based in racial injustice. Yes. And so that's why we have to talk about race because it's very much a part of the origin of this genre that you claim to love Mm. so much. So you're going to understand this. Whether you take what I'm giving you and whatever you do with what I'm giving you, I'm going to give you the ingredients. Yes. The real ingredients to how this magic was made. Mm. And so with that, I'm just saying, looking at the experiences that I've personally had yes. with art and culture and young people and just art that's impressed me. I listen to a lot of artists and I'm going to take it back to the Lizzo thing. Everybody was pissed with Lizzo because they were like, she shouldn't have shown her naked behind at the basketball game because it was quote unquote inappropriate because children were there and families were there. Folks were saying that's a mute argument because the music they play at the basketball games is violent and misogynistic and you don't mind your kids listening to that. With that, I'm going to say as a society, it's up to us to dictate what type of society we want to be. I love that. Yes. And so for me... I want to see more love in this world. I want to see more beauty. I want to see us be more kind to one another. I want to see us share more. I want to see us more in harmony. So for me, my contribution to society is to do things that promote that. Promote harmony, promote beauty, promote, you know, sharing that that's me. That that's that's my contribution to this world, to this earth. For me, that looks like doing political education with people, and ha- helping people become artists and helping people do art. And it and for me, it it is important um, being able to, you know, su- support artists that do the type of artwork that has uplifting messages. That's very important to me. People will say to me, oh, you can't control what people say. You can't control, you know, you censoring this and that. For me, I censor myself many times. I don't want to hear certain stuff. I don't want to hear misogyny. I don't want to hear nobody talking about beating up chicks or beating up the you know what. 
or holding on harm. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want that in my body. I don't want that in my central nervous system. I don't want that in my medulla oblongata. I don't want that anywhere in my brain. I don't want that in my subconscious. I don't want it. Any of it. Like, I'm done. I mean, yes, people have a right to do whatever they have a right to do. You know what I'm saying? But to me, I personally see the impact that that music and arts can have on people. And the impact that I want to spread, the impact that I want to support, uplift, and promote is the impact that opens people's minds up to possibility, hope, you know, the future, you know, healthiness, you know, that, that, that's me. That's my vision. Same. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. That's what I'm going to say about Lizzo's booty. Go ahead, Lizzo. But Lizzo got a right to live. I do think that people were shaming her because of her size. And I do think that people think that black women, brown, beautiful black women that are her size, you know, need to, quote unquote, be in their place and need to lose weight and need to, you know, be wearing a certain thing. And I think politically, I support Lizzo politically Mm. in that we got to get rid of the body shaming and the slut shaming. We have to look at the systems that oppress women, the systems that demean women, the systems that demonize women, the systems that criminalize women, the systems that make people look at women and have thoughts about what they should or shouldn't even be doing. So, yeah, I'm with Lizzo on that politically. Um, you won't see me showing the crack of my booty anywhere to make any points. <laughs> uh, if, you, if, if that's what you're looking for. You know what I'm saying? I, I definitely won't be the one out there with my booty uh, dangling in the wind. But at the same time, I understand. I understand the point that she's making. You know what I'm saying? And, and I agree. I agree with her. Um, I'm be honest with you. I don't want to see anyone's booty anywhere ever. Like I'm cool on that. <laughs> I don't care. But I I also agree that people were looking at it like because of how, you know, their perceptions of how they think that she should have been. So so that's that. Um I guess we will have another show like next week, right? Yeah. We're going to do this next week. I want to get a shout out to Super Cool Wicked, Morgan. I want to get her on the show, but. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So we got to get a date for her. All right. So reach out to her and do that. I got you. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been the Piper Carter podcast. You've been listening to Piper Carter and the token millennial, Brittany. (laughs) And we will be able to connect with you next week. Let people know to keep listening. Subscribe. Like. Share. You know, let folks know about the podcast. Um, we also want to hear from you. Can you send us an email? Um, I think my email is piper at detroitisdifferent.com. And what's yours, Brittany? Uh, Brittany at detroitisdifferent.com. Yeah. And so if you want to see um, other shows that are on the network, you want to go to detroitisdifferent.net. And you get to see all the different shows that are on the network for Detroit is Different as well as Detroit is Different at night. And just continue to follow us on social media. Detroit is different on Facebook, 
and Instagram and also on Piper Carter on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Send me a message. Let me know what you think. And let me know if you have some show topics that you want us to cover. And until then, we'll see you next week. Peace. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Blast in the past, see I got an old soul, I need vinyls and cassettes, and you're living with regrets, and you feeling kind of this, company I keep is myself and four cats, I'ma fuck around and neglect all my friends, I'ma fuck around and be alone in the end, I'ma go ghost, and disappear from niggas, and I'ma tune it all out till I can hear you niggas, and I'ma fade away, I'ma go on by, I'ma go on home, and I won't say, I'ma go ghost, Disappear from niggas and I'ma tune it all out till I can't hear you niggas and I'ma fade on wait. I'ma go on by, I'ma go on home, and I won't say bye. Fade on wait, won't say bye, won't say bye. Fade on wait, won't say bye. Sustain me, sustain me, give me energy, concentrate hard enough to feel your energy. Expectations running low now. People getting dirty, man. These motherfuckers low down. Whoa, Nelly, slow down. Getting kind of fast. Separate yourself, girl. You're more than just a piece of ass. Who told you things that you never said before? I mean, who told you things that you never thought before? I mean, hold up, hold up. Whoa, there, really, I got you. Speak up for yourself. Tell them what that mouth do. Tell them what you about to do, but never what you doing. Best left unsaid until you done what you doing. I mean, who said this shit just can't be done? I mean, who came up with the fact you never be the one or you never had some fun? Or homie, you just a sellout. You ain't talking positive, nigga, get the hell out. I'm done saying shit that ain't related to my dreams. I'm done saying shit that I ain't never really mean. But who am I impressing? I know what I want now. I'm done second guessing. I'm done holding back on behalf of other folks. I'm done not doing what needs to be done. See, I'ma fuck around and neglect all my friends. I'ma fuck around and be alone in the end. See, I'ma go ghost and disappear from niggas. And I'ma tune it all out till I can hear you niggas. And I'ma fade on wait. I'ma go on by. I'ma go on home, and I won't say I'ma go ghost and disappear from niggas, and I'ma tune it all out till I can't hear you niggas, and I'ma fade on wait. I'ma go on by, I'ma go on home, and I won't say bye. Fade on wait, won't say bye, won't say bye. Fade on wait, won't say bye. Fade on wait. Won't say bye, won't say bye, fade away, won't say bye.